Amen. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. Thank you. We are always glad when y'all come into town. Amen. It's good to see everyone this morning. Glad that you're here. And turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 21. And uh, we're continuing our study in the Gospel of John, verse by verse. And uh, we come to this new chapter, this closing chapter, chapter 21. Now this is, John's the only gospel who has a chapter after the resurrection. And, and here it is. Some people have asked, why would it be there? Why do you need a chapter after the resurrection? Well, he answers some very practical questions. And we'll look at those practical questions as we go through this chapter. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at uh, really the first practical question that he answers. And that is, after now the, of the cross and the resurrection, will Jesus still meet his people's needs? Will he still meet the needs of the disciples? They had walked with him. He had supplied everything they needed along the way. And uh, he answers that question in these first 14 verses. We also see in the first 14 verses two um, parables, or maybe we should say two object lessons. They are like living parables. They're like acted out parables and we'll look at those this morning as well well look at verse 1 and uh, it says after these things the things of course of chapter 20 and the, they have seen their risen Lord after these things Jesus showed himself again to his disciples at the sea of Tiberias that's the sea of the Galilee another name for the sea of Galilee and it was on this wise showed he himself. This is the way it happened. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee. The sons of Zebedee are John and James. And two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. You keep your Bibles open. We'll cover these verses down through verse 14. But let me just tell you quickly the rest of this part of the story. They came in early that morning and didn't recognize Jesus. He was far away. He said, have you caught anything? They said, no. They told all night, caught nothing. They were professional fishermen, remember. Jesus said, throw your net out on the right side, and they did, and they caught a great number of fish. He's going to define it for us as 153 big fish, not just little fish, but big fish. And, uh, and in that, we have this living parable. Now, the disciples didn't know they were acting out a parable or acting out an object lesson. But uh, we know from comparing Scripture to Scripture. For instance, let me share this before we pray too. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus said to the four of these same men, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Fishing is a picture of evangelism. 
In, a, in another passage in Luke chapter 5, about three years prior to this, they had fished all night. Same scenario. They'd fished all night and caught nothing. Jesus said, let down your nets. And so they said, well, we've caught nothing all day, but if you say so, we'll do it. And they let down their nets, caught so many fish, they couldn't pull them in. They finally got them in, and the two different boats began to sink. There were so many fish in them. Then Jesus said, follow me. From henceforth, you're going to catch men, people, men, women, boys, and girls. Fishing is an analogy of evangelism, sharing the gospel, witnessing, helping people come to Christ. And it's a beautiful picture. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together. Make this passage profitable to us today. Encourage our hearts. Thank you for the beautiful singing this morning. We give you praise. In Christ's name, amen, amen. Some years ago, I was knocking on doors in a neighborhood over on Phillips Avenue, apartments, and uh, it was kind of a rough neighborhood, and I had a briefcase full of Bibles. Actually, they were New Testaments with the book of Psalms in them. And they, they had some helps with them. For instance, there was uh, some verses to read if you were going through a hard time, if you were maybe grieving, or if you had a big decision to make. It would give you verses to read. Well, also in there, it says it told the plan of salvation. If you want to be forgiven, if you want to come to Christ, it gave the plan of salvation. So they were very inexpensive paperbacks, and I had a briefcase full. And so my thought was, and I'd done this before and did it afterwards as well, but on this day, I would knock on doors, offer somebody a free Bible, and then if they would allow me, I would show how that little section worked on helping you find verses on where you're at in life. And then when I got to the salvation, I would go over those verses with them, and it would be a soul-winning tool. And so uh, I began to knock on doors. Excuse me. And I only had two hours planned for this uh, activity because I uh, had to get back to the church to other duties. And uh, so I knocked on doors, and a lot of people took Bibles, and one or two people let me explain how the Bible worked, and I, I thought it went well. But really, I found nobody that was interested in coming to Christ. And so I felt like. The disciples who had told all night and caught nothing. I caught nothing. I, d I didn't even have a nibble. And, uh, and so I got in my car and uh, started home, or started back to the church. And I, I looked through some buildings. There, this was a multiple of buildings. I looked through the building, and, and about as far as from here to the center of the parking lot out there, I saw a woman sitting on a bench. And so... Uh, seemed as though the Lord said, go speak to this woman. So I, but I had things to do. My two hours were up. I had appointments to keep and so forth. And so I, I kind of talked myself out of it. And I said, well, you know, I, I've got to do this. And, but I couldn't get away from that still small voice. And uh, the Lord seemed to keep saying, speak to this lady. So I turned around. I'd driven several blocks in the wrong direction. Turned around, came back. 
And uh, I didn't know exactly where it was because, as I said, it was between buildings, so I had to kind of circle through parking lots. And finally, I found this woman sitting on the bench by herself. She was an elderly lady. And uh, so I walked up and sat next to her and, and spoke to her. And she said she was waiting on a ride for a family member to take her to the doctor. She had cancer. She had just found out she had cancer in her shoulder. Now, I don't know. I guess that would be multiple myeloma, maybe, bone cancer. But she said the cancer was in her shoulder, and they just found it. And I said, well, I'm a preacher. I'll pray with you. But she looked surprised then, and she said, she said, I was just sitting here thinking to myself, wondering to myself, how could I become a Christian? So I opened the scripture and shared the scripture and right there on that bench she called on Christ to come into her heart and forgive her sin, give her a home in heaven. And it was a glorious moment. About the time we finished and I was helping her with assurance and talking about some other things, her ride pulled up and she had to go and she got in the car and drove away. I never saw her again. I knocked on some doors all around where that experience took place. But uh, I didn't know her apartment, didn't know her name. And uh, I couldn't ever find her again. But I couldn't help but think of that when I thought about this passage of Scripture. They had told all night professional fishermen and caught nothing. But if you throw your net where Jesus says to throw your net, there'll be some fish. And that's the great lesson of this living parable that's in front of us. Now let's back up and look at the verses themselves. Verse 1 again says, After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. And if you remember in chapter 20 they were in Jerusalem. The Sea of Galilee is 80 plus miles away. And so they had traveled from Jerusalem to Galilee. That would have been a, at least a four-day journey. Sometimes it was more than that, but since these were uh, pretty strong uh, men, and they may have some women traveling with them too, used to walking, they might have made it in four days. That'd be 20 miles a day. That's a pretty good walk. That's the, that was the average day's journey during Bible times. So at least four days, maybe longer, it took them to get up there. And the angel had said to them, if you remember... At the resurrection, the angel said, go into Galilee, and he will appear to you there. So they are doing what the Lord said through the angel, and they are in Galilee, I, I, I assume, waiting to meet Jesus again in his resurrected body. They had met with him twice. This would be the third time John recorded him meeting with his di disciples as a group. And so they traveled. Think of... Think of the, how the conversation may have gone as they traveled four days and four nights into Galilee. They had seen the triumphant entry and all the celebration. Then they had seen the hatred and they had seen Jesus crucified. They themselves were, were afraid they would be arrested. Jesus was arrested and crucified, tortured, and they saw all of that. And then they saw the risen Christ and all of that, all of that uh, heartbreak was turned to joy 
And uh, now they're wondering how often will they see him? Will, he, will it be like old times? Will they be traveling? The only difference being Jesus will be in that new glorified body. They didn't know any of these things. And so you can imagine the conversation as they went. Now they're at the Sea of Tiberias and they're waiting. Something Peter's not very good at is waiting. And so Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. I go a fishing. And seven of the or six of the disciples say unto him, We're going too. And so they went. Look at verse 2. They were together, Simon and Thomas and Nathaniel and the two sons of Zebedee and two others. I wonder why he named, he named the others. He named five. Why not name the other two? I don't know. Maybe it's so you and I can see ourselves in this group. We can fit ourselves right in there. We're disciples. And uh, uh, could have been in that group. Verse 3, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship. Now a ship, is, when we think of a ship, we think of something big. This would have been a fishing boat, uh, 15, 17 feet long, with oars. And they fish with nets, not with, uh, you know, a fishing pole like we might. And uh, so they go in, and look at that last phrase, they, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was come now, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Notice the word come. That is in a, a tense that indicates coming, a continual coming. The uh, morning was still in the process of coming. It wasn't fully there yet. They didn't know Jesus. Now, it's possible Jesus, in a mir miraculous way, uh, kept his appearance from being recognized by them. But probably it's just, it was just uh, a, a natural reaction because he was, we're going to be told later, he's 300 yards away. And the morning is coming. So imagine you're fishing all night, you're tired, you're worn out, and uh, you're still a, a whole football field away. Think of somebody at the end of a football field, and you're at the other end, and, and uh, it's, uh, you know, the morning's coming on. It, it would be easy not to recognize somebody you knew really well. I think that's probably the case here. They just didn't recognize him. And then verse 5 says, Then Jesus saith unto them, Children. Now that could be translated friend. Some of the newer translations will translate it friend. It could be translated little children. John, in his writing his epistles, uses this phrase, and it's translated little children. But he uses it of all believers. So this is, this is not a phrase that just would indicate somebody who was young or even somebody young in the faith these are the Lord's children so he says little children or children have you any meat or have you any fish have you caught anything and they say unto him no now that must have been embarrassing don't you think now think about it. you know fishermen love to fish but they really don't like it when they 
have to come back empty-handed, you know? Uh, you've heard stories, and I have two funny stories about somebody coming back from a fishing trip and running by a grocery store and buying some fish, you know, so they can tell their wife that they caught these fish. Well, these were, these were men, just, you know, regular men. I know it was hard for them not to say, uh, hard for them to say, no, hadn't caught a thing. Even more so, they were professional fishermen. They knew exactly how to put the oars gently in the water so that they didn't scare fish away. They knew exactly how to throw the net and how to pull it in. I mean, they were professionals. This is what they had done for a living. Their fathers had taught them how to do it. Their grandfathers had done it before them. Their great-grandfathers. These were fishermen who fished right here on the Sea of Galilee. This is where they fished and made their livelihood till they followed Jesus for the last three years. But they had to admit, no. By the way, some people debate on whether Peter should have gone fishing or not. Like, whether this was right or wrong what he did. The ones who think that he did something wrong would say because earlier, three years earlier, Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And that was now their, their calling. Uh, and, that they, and they would even say that Peter led six others astray himself with his bad behavior and, you know, make an analogy that when uh, people go astray, it affects other people and so forth. But the ones who think that, that Peter did nothing wrong would say something like this. That uh, he certainly had a right to go fishing. He might have gone because he just wanted to, uh, wanted to get out on the sea again for the night and enjoy being with his friends. Or maybe even he needed some money. I mean, that was his livelihood. He needed some money to pay some bills for his family. And uh, by the way, the Apostle Paul, though he was in full-time ministry, he still sometimes applied his trade of being a tip maker all along his ministry. So I don't think there was anything wrong with what they did. I think as men, they just liked to go fishing and wanted to go. And, on, and secondly, they needed the income. And so they went. And they said, no. Then he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for, for the multitude of fishes. How surprised they must have been. While they were drawing it in, notice verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said unto Peter, it is the Lord. He probably remembered three years ago when Jesus told him on another occasion, throw your nets over here, and they had this great catch out after being out all night and catching nothing. He says, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that, heard that it was the Lord, he gird his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked. Now, he was not naked in the sense that you and I would use the term. He was stripped for work. That was, that was uh, the term that was used in that day. He was stripped for work. So he threw his outer garment on and, uh, and did cast himself into the sea. 
He jumped into the water. Here you see John and Peter again. John's the insightful one. He's the one that figures it out. It's the Lord. And Peter's the impulsive one. He jumps in the water. He can't wait for the boat to get there. He jumps in the water and swims to shore. And uh, when they get there, notice verse 8. And the other disciples came in a little ship or boat, for they were not far from the land, but as it were, 200 cubits. That is, again, 100 yards. Dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals, and the fish laid thereon with bread. So there was already fish there. We don't know if Jesus purchased them from someone or whether he just spoke them into existence, but he already had a breakfast waiting for them. So this answers that need twofold. They needed to catch a fish. Jesus told them where to catch it and helped them catch it and blessed them with it. And then he also fed them. So I think that answers the question for them, will Jesus continue to take care of his disciples? Absolutely, yes. He still does that today, doesn't he? He still takes care of me and he takes care of you. And so they come and there's fish and bread ready. Verse 9, as soon then as they were come to land and they saw the fire of coals and the fish and the, their own and the bread, Jesus said unto them, bring of the fish which you have now caught. So he lets them participate themselves in this great event. Simon Peter went and drew the net to land full of great fishes. Notice the word great, big fishes. This is not just a fishing story when somebody catches one like this and says they caught one like this. This is a big fish, and, um, and there was a lot of them. Notice 150 and 3. 153 big fish. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. So Jesus even met that great need. What a beautiful living parable this is. With, with a practical meaning that Jesus will meet our needs. He cares about breakfast and lunch. He cares about your uh, profession, whatever it is, your job and how you make money. He cares about all those things. That's the practical side of it. But the analogy, the object lesson is he will, he will help you be a fisher of men. Here's some thoughts, just quickly, if you look back at your screen. Here's some thoughts on these first 11 verses. Lessons from the fishing scene. A primary responsibility of the church in the world is fishing or evangelism. That's one of the primary purposes of the church. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said to them, ye shall be witnesses unto me. We're to all be witnesses unto him. Pass out tracts, invite people to church, share the gospel. 
in many different ways. And you can share the gospel online with people and in social media. You can do it in person. Share the gospel. We're to be fishing. And then the second thing is, fishing is hard work. They were out there all night. Don't you know they were hungry when they saw that fish on the fire and that bread? Don't you know that was a good, what a treat that was? They, uh, they were hungry. You've, you've, got to, you've got to put time and heart into fishing for people. You've got you've to go. You've got to knock on some doors or you've got to share the faith. You've got to be ready with tracks in your pocket and so forth. And so, it can be very tiring, and it can be very discouraging because you can toil all night sometimes and all day and catch nothing. But be of good cheer. Just keep toiling, and the Lord will direct you. And when he does, if you'll follow his direction, things will be different. And then, without Christ, we can do nothing. Now, Jesus had said that just to just a few weeks earlier in John 15 in the upper room discourse he said without me you can do nothing well they went fishing and they could walk four days and travel and all of that but you could do nothing of spiritual significance you could do nothing of spiritual value without him that's what he's teaching them here you can't win fish without him and so Without Christ, we can do nothing. Again, I remind you, these were professional fishermen. They knew how it was done. But they couldn't do it. Some people are like professional evangelists. They know, you know, they, they know a way to try to get someone trapped into listening to them and this, that, and the other. That's not what fishing for men is all about. It's about being truthful and honest and sharing the message of love and sharing it with love with people. Without Christ, you can do nothing. Now, with that last thought there, without Christ, we can do nothing. Here's some ways in which we can, some lessons we learn about how to appropriate the Lord's help in this, the, words, the Lord's work. Confess our inability, our failure. Now, it was hard for them to say, hadn't caught a thing. But the first step is being honest about our own inability. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Now, I know Paul said, on the other hand, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Those don't contradict each other, but they flow together. Realizing we can do nothing of ourselves, we trust the Lord Jesus, and then he works through us to do what he wants done. And so, uh, we have to confess our inability. And then, we have to be willing to cast the net. Now, they were, they were out there for the purpose of catching fish. That day, I, that two hours I was out there at that particular apartment complex might have seemed like wasted time, but I don't know that it was. I think the Lord led me there. and Maybe some of those people read the Bibles I handed out. Maybe they listened to some of the things I said. I don't know. 
But the reason I found that lady sitting on the bench wondering how she could become a Christian was because I was there. I was out there casting the net anyway. And while I was out there, the Lord led me. So we've got to get out there. We've got to be willing to cast the net, willing to go and willing to put time into it. And then, see, seeking and following the Lord's direction. They threw the net right where he said, in loving obedience. Beautiful object lesson he gives us here. Now, I think we stopped in verse 11. Let's pick it up in verse 12. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. <laughs> they were hungry. They were worn out. They were tired. And he says, come, come have a meal with me. Come and dine. And so they come. I've always loved that phrase, come and dine. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord. Uh, uh, eno is the Greek word used for know here. It means to know with certainty, to be sure. They were sure. There was no doubt in their minds this was the Lord. Now that they got close enough to see him, it was the Lord meeting with them again. And... Uh, and then verse 13, Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them the fish likewise. And so they sat around and enjoy fellowship and talk together. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. The third time recorded by John and uh, the third time that it was the group of disciples, though here it was only seven. And that uh, he showed himself at his disciples after that he was raised from the dead. Now, I just jumped to verse 15 to show something else. Look at verse 15. So when they had dined, so after they had completed their meal, Jesus says to Peter, and we'll look at that next week. But I want you to see it was after they had dined. I don't know how long it takes to sit and eat around the fire like that, maybe 30 minutes. Maybe more like an hour if you're talking and having a good time. And uh, they had questions for Jesus, I feel sure. <laughs> he answered those questions and spoke to them and encouraged their hearts. It was a wonderful time. They went away from that time with their hearts encouraged and blessed. Jesus said, come and dine. In John chapter 1, Jesus said, come and see. Some disciples were following him, and they said, Lord, where do you live? He said, come and see. Come and see not only where I live, but come see who I am. Come and see. In John chapter 7, he said, come and drink. Remember, it was that great day of the feast, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice, If any man come unto me, let him come unto me and drink. This he spake of the Holy Spirit. So in this incident, he's, we're told we can drink from Christ, receiving the Spirit's fullness. Come and drink. And then here he says, come and dine. You can feast with Jesus. You can draw from him the strength, like food gives us strength for the body. Being with him gives us strength for the soul. I had a dear friend named Bobby Helms. Went to be with the Lord many years ago. 
he used to sing a song that's in the old hymn books, Come and Dine. The Master Calleth, Come and Dine. I used to love to hear him sing it because he sang it with, with all of his heart. And he would reach out and kind of motion for people to come. Come and dine, you know. The words to that song was written back in 1906 by a pastor named Charles Wildmire. He was a pastor. He was going to preach on these 14 verses that we just looked at. And he wrote a song for the occasion. Sorry about that. I didn't write a song. You'd probably be glad I didn't. But he wrote the song for, for this passage of Scripture. Matter of fact, verse 2 talks about them on the shoreline. But verse 1 says this. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people come and dine. With his manna he doth feed and supplies our every need. Oh, tis sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. (laughs) The songwriter speaks of three occasions where we dine with Jesus. One, when we come to him and and fellowship uh, like in a devotional time or in a prayer time or Bible study time. It's, It's when we come to him for that special time. But then he says in the... In the first verse, you can sup with Jesus all the time. And then in the chorus, he says, you may feast at Jesus' table all the time. Here, the songwriter has in mind receiving from the Lord all during the day. You're feasting on Jesus all during the day. You're trusting him, looking to him for strength and guidance and everything you need. And then the songwriter in the last uh, last verse speaks about a future feast with Jesus. It says, Soon the Lamb will take his bride to be ever at his side. All the host of heaven will assembled be. Oh, twill be a glorious sight, all the saints in spotless white. And with Jesus, they will feast eternally. The great uh, marriage supper of the Lamb extending into eternity will be feasting with Jesus. Jesus says, come and dine. Listen, listen for a moment. He'll say to your heart, come and dine. I've got a table spread for you. Come and dine. And you can feast on this all the time. Bow with me, please. Father, thank you for this sweet time together. Speak to our hearts. May each of us say in our hearts, Yes, Lord, we're going to come and dine. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's watch this little video clip of this. I think it's only about two and a half minutes. Let's watch it. I'm going fishing. We will come with you, Victor. So they went out in a boat. But all that night, they did not catch a thing. As the sun was rising, Jesus stood at the water's edge. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. 
Young men, haven't you caught anything? Not a thing! Throw your net out on the right side of the boat, and you will catch some. So they threw the net out. Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken his clothes off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples came to shore in the boat, pulling the net full of fish. They were not very far from land, about a hundred yards away. When they stepped ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there fish on it and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore full of big fish, 153 in all. Even though there were so many, still the net did not tear. Come and eat. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So Jesus went over, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This, then, was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from death. Stand with me, please, and let's sing that great old hymn, Come and Dine. Think about those words. and Think about our commitment to dine with Jesus. Let's sing together. 